0: Daily, we have stand-ups with the team. So everyone reports on, like, more of the what that they're doing. And in the beginning, I found myself, and still do some, actually, and I'm working on this, reporting, you know, what I am working on. (laughs) Um, But now I've tried to use the opportunity to describe, you know, why I'm working on what I'm working on. And how it connects to what everyone else is working on um, in that short snippet of time. Um, and so that's one sort of, that's tactic, tactical. Yep.
1: And that's every day.
0: That's every single, we have every single day.
1: How long does that meeting take?
0: Um, seven minutes. Seven minutes. Seven to 10 times? minutes. Uh, or less. Okay. Uh, Wednesdays is less because it's wall sit Wednesdays. So everyone has to do a wall sit. <laughs> While you're meeting? We, yeah. And so like- Nice. The meeting is over.
1: That meeting would be over in like 90 seconds. Yeah, exactly. It
0: flies. (laughs) That one flies. That's a really quick one. Um, But the stand-up is meant to just catch people up quickly. Anything, anyone has a question about anything, they have an opportunity to talk about it.
1: Hey everyone, I'm Palmer Higgins, and welcome to the Big Time Small Business Podcast. I interview owners, operators, and founders of the small businesses you see every day but don't hear enough about. We talk about the obstacles they have faced, the successes they have earned, and where their business is going to inspire and inform you in your own career. On this episode, I speak with Owen McCarthy, co-founder and president of MedRhythms, a Maine-based digital therapeutics company that uses music to help drive clinical outcomes for people following neuroinjury or disease. The idea for the company was born when Owen's co-founder, Brian, utilized auditory techniques as a clinician at Spalding Rehab to help people recover from walking deficits twice as fast as traditional physical therapy. Now, MedRhythms is working towards FDA approval so they can reach patients across the globe. Owen talks about what it's like to lead a startup where failing fast and failing cheap is not an option when it comes to patient health, but staying nimble and moving fast is still crucial to success. All right. Owen McCarthy, co-founder and president of Medrhythms. Thanks a lot for being on the Big Time Small Business Podcast.
0: Very excited to be here. Thanks, Paul.
1: Awesome. So, um, you know, I always start podcasts with a bit of, you know, tell me about yourself, tell me about the company. Yeah. Definitely need that because when we met earlier and I learned about about Medrhythms, awesome company, really cool company. I got to be honest, totally over my head. Yeah. So, so can you give me sort of the, the layman's term of, uh, or the layman's speak of what Medrhythms what med, what med is and, and what you guys do?
0: Yeah. So Medrhythms, we're, we're a software and therapy company that helps people improve following neuroinjury disease. And so we're focusing on people who have walking deficits, so have trouble walking, um, using music and using music to engage the brain to, to drive them towards a clinical outcome.
1: Yeah, so you're using technology to drive health outcomes. Correct. So you've taken the two hottest sectors right now, tech and healthcare, jammed them into one company, start up to the moon.
0: Yeah, though, it didn't start like that. I mean, we started uh, as a clinical company. My co-founder and one of my best friends, I've known him for over a dozen years, Brian Harris, was at Spalding Rehab in Boston and was helping people recover using music one-on-one kind of in a live fashion. And we're seeing great outcomes. We're seeing people recover, you know, twice as fast as physical therapy or, you know, and, and, and more sustainable ways and really came to me with a question and said, Oh, and, you know, there's one of me. There isn't a lot of people trained in this field. How do we reach more people? And that's when we, you know, decided to say, actually, if we combine technology plus your, you know, ability to build these algorithms or to think to, to help a patient out, we can, we can build a solution that scales from there. And so it really started from clinical need, helping patients and not so much from trying to merge two health trend two trends together to get there. Just, it does happen to be really hot
1: trends. It does. Um, and it so does, which yeah. is
0: super fortunate for us, but it didn't start there.
1: Sure. So how, how long ago did you guys start the company?
0: Company started in 2015.
1: Okay. So relatively new,
0: relatively new, um, and it started in Boston, and Brian and I both were from Maine, and we decided to move move up to Maine and to to continue it up here after six months or so.
1: Yeah, so I'm gonna take a little detour because um, obviously the podcast, based on where we're located, and, and sort of my desire to make it very heavily Maine focused, sort of as yeah. a point to point out that some great businesses, great stories, great entrepreneurs come out of a state that you know a lot of people think is in Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You know, has that been a difficulty for you to overcome by moving up to Maine and being a, a tech healthcare startup? Where you know startups are probably, in the, at least in the Northeast, are probably more associated with Boston or New York.
0: So for us, I don't think so. I mean,
1: how about on the talent side? On, yeah. So we capital will find you if you have a good
0: yeah idea. yeah. So we two things. One is. Um, you know, we're not that far from Boston. It's only 90 minutes away. I know. Across Silicon Valley, it's a couple of hours. <laughs> so, you know, that's a that's a fall fallacy. Two is uh for the people we've recruited so far, we have a team of 10 people in, in Maine. Um, a few of them have moved from out of state, a few of them were were here working as remote workers. Um, and we haven't had trouble finding talent so far on the tech side. If we fast forward and need to recruit 20 people. Um, that's, there's a real question mark there. Um, and one that, you know, that may get more difficult, uh, but we will cross that bridge when we get there. So far, um, environment's been great. There's really good talent here. Um, hasn't been as hard as we hypothesized actually to do.
1: Sure. So you have a background in engineering, um, but not necessarily tech per se, correct?
0: That's correct. I, I have a background in biological engineering for my undergrad. So I understand the body. I don't have a don't have a software engineering background. So I, you know, don't, you know, re- sling lines of code as they would say in
1: software. <laughs> sure. <world>. sure. Um, <laughs> so your, your co-founder steeped in the, the clinical side of the business, and then you sort of, you layer on this tech enabled platform to help yeah. reach, reach more people, mm-hmm. um, to broaden the scope of, of your guys' mission. Um, how much, of the path of of the three year path that you guys have already had, how much did you know going in? How much has it just been figured out as you go? Uh,
0: okay, so I would say we've always known that we wanted to reach patients and help patients and stay core to mission. So that was a hundred percent hasn't changed,
1: etc. And what is that mission?
0: The, the mission is to basically take and improve quality of outcomes for, you know, neurologic injury disease patients across the world, in, in no matter where they are, and, you know, and what, if they're near a top rehab hospital or not. So it's really, can we get people access to the highest quality of care, um, starting with, you know, what we know best in music and improving walking. Okay. Uh, so that hasn't changed. That, that's where we started. That's where we're at. A lot of it has been figuring it out as we go. It's been, um, you know, figure out feasibility. Like, can we actually replicate the intervention with technology? You know, check. Yes. You know, we've we've done that. Figure out, you know, what's the market look like? You know, when you start introducing now it's a product – now is this prescription? How do you how do you get people to write prescriptions? How do you get it paid for? How do you do all of these things? And so, you know, I think we started um, broad, and then we've been getting more narrow and narrow and narrow. And you know, our first product is going to be launched in post stroke, likely you know three to six months after disease, with a certain prescriber base. Like it's getting every day. I feel like while the possibilities get bigger, the um, the focus of the company gets more narrow because you know we need to execute on something real tangible.
1: Sure. And so, do you see that as just a nature of the growth of the business or the development of the business, or do you see that as um, something that you are forced into given the the environment of healthcare that you have to abide by because you're not you don't have enough scale to sort of create the the market or create the architecture that you ideally would like?
0: Well, I think it's both. So I think certainly in healthcare. The more you focus, the more you understand the implications on all of the stakeholders from payers to providers to other medical device or pharmaceutical companies there to the patients themselves. You know, every disease is different in that way. So yes, healthcare makes it more likely to do that, but startup land in general, I would, you know, and this is a hypothesis I have, you know, I think you, There's two trains of thought. One is you get, you know, $800 million from SoftBank and you can do lots of things. (laughs) Um, And that only happens to a few companies. The other one is- God, I hope SoftBank is listening to this podcast. Yeah, exactly. Um, The other other way is, you know, dream big, set your sights big, but focus on something really well and do it really well and get your first 10 customers, 100 customers, 1,000 customers, and then expand Mm -hmm. because, you know, that's your advantage as a startup. It's to hyper focus, do that really well, um, and be nimble around what you learn from there. And so, you know, I think necessity in healthcare, but also a good strategy for most uh, early stage companies.
1: Totally agree. So, Anna, and so, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask what is different then about being a startup in the healthcare space where you are. it's the the competition is so consolidated. Yeah. Right. And, and access. I mean, there's, there's huge economies of scale, whether it's actual economies or leverage economies, right? We, mm-hmm. we you know, when we first met, we were talking about, um, you know, just being able to distribute your product. Right. um, and, and if it's prescribed, then what the reimbursement rates are going to be, being able to have leverage in that negotiation is almost impossible as a startup unless mm-hmm. you're part of a bigger group. So what's different about being a startup in the healthcare space as opposed to a startup in the tech space or the retail space or whatever?
0: So two main things. One is that when it comes to, you know, product iteration cycles, uh, they're slower, and they're slower because you can't, uh, you know, fail fast, fail cheap, or, or you can't um, do a, as much sort of minimum viable products mm-hmm. because you know you're you're being looked at by these are people's. Health in their lives, and their patients, and you need to put their safety first. Mm-hmm. And you can't release or try things that that are that's unproven. Um, and you know you have agencies, you know, like the FDA, who does a really good job at making sure the patients stay safe. That you need to abide by, you know, the kind of their rules and regulations. So there's one side, and then on the other side, um, you know, the the user is not often the customer right and so and and like you said oftentimes customer may be a provider network or payer who actually pays for the product um and there are large entities that have um to find ways to um screen out different product offerings um that that is the most beneficial to them and so if you have a thousand small startup companies coming at you with new offerings, you know, how do you get a uh, signal amongst the noise? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's through um, channels, you know, that are large med device, large pharma, large distributors that have relationships with them that can bring them the most promising things. And so, you know, on the distribution side, it's much tougher because you can't just go out to patient because patient, people don't pay for healthcare. Sure. And say, um, you know, here's a great product pay for it yeah there's many stakeholders there
1: so i want to go back to the the absolute dawn of med rhythms right because what you're describing is very long lead times very capital intensive up front because of that long lead time Mm -hmm. um very high stakes very binary outcomes right you Mm -hmm. either get the fda approval or you don't Mm -hmm. your clinical studies either prove the effectiveness of your product or service or don't Mm -hmm. um so let's go back to the dawn of med rhythms and sort of what was what was the what was the driving force? What was that spark? It said, you know what? Um, you know, you're coming out of business school and you say, I, I, w- I want to do this. I want to do this startup life. Yeah. It's not something the startup life is not something you had done previously.
0: Uh, I had helped start a 3D printing of electronics company and raised some funds prior to okay. so okay. Yes. Yeah, so I, I had some idea of what it was like in startup life. Yep. But this was the first kind of sole or dual founding scenario. Yep. So the spark was really um, it was threefold. You know, it was one. My, you know, it was a scenario where I knew the co-founder um, who was a clinician that you know was getting great results, and I trusted him. And I think that's really important. You know, because it's the people that actually gets things done. It's not the idea, and it's not any of these things. Like those are a dime a dozen, and it's it's really the people that you work with and you push through within the trenches. And that was really important. Two is. You can vis- in addition to studies, you can visually see the impact of the interventions that are happening and visually see that like people's lives are being made better, and you can measure that outcome and to me, it seemed like there was a business model question and not a efficacy of intervention question. I mean I know we're replicating in technology, but science has been proven, and mm-hmm. so said, okay, let's go figure out business model on that side um. And the the third thing is is I've always been fascinated by like large sort of uh, systems problems and more so when I say that it's places that have many stakeholders and it's a jigsaw puzzle versus um, you know selling one widget to one person and figuring out how to replicate that you know how do you align incentives across system it just you know it gets me excited every day to think about that and my i probably am weird because of that but um that's uh you know it it's fun to think about those big challenges
1: probably good then that you're the president of a tech tech enabled company in the healthcare space with so many stakeholders and and liking the jigsaw puzzle
0: yeah. No, I mean it's a you know, it's a curiosity and learning journey every single day. You know, we you know, we we have to uncover lots of different motivations across the board and and dig deep and and it's a changing environment. And so it's yep. it's fun, you
1: know. So before we hit the record button, you were telling me that this week, probably emblematic of most weeks, but maybe a little bit uh you know, the volume turned up a little bit. You know, tell me about a day in the life or maybe a week in the life, uh, because it's it's very multifaceted.
0: Yeah, why not I'll why don't I just tell you about today?
1: Great yeah, so yeah t- today As a microcosm:
0: Yeah today, let's say I've spent six hours, maybe seven hours working on things today. Uh, a third of those hours was talking about FDA strategy and our next submission to you know the FDA and how to think about it, how to design a trial, etc uh, the second third was talking about HIPAA compliance and working with the team on how do we make sure the systems are you know gold standard on that side and the last third was on designing our clinical thinking algorithm and thinking about how the body interacts with our sensors interacts with the software interacts with the headphones that we're building and those are much different mindsets with different you know considerations and different motivations and so it's it's large things that's really important to our success with much different mindsets that we're always switching gears between it. You know, at, you know, at large company, you'd have a HIPAA department or a security department. You'd have a FDA regulatory department. You'd also have a clinical trial department. You'd have a sensor department and you'd have a software department and in a small company like MedRhythms, uh, departments are us.
1: <laughs> right. Right. So, uh, I'm always fascinated, uh world of startups i'd say probably more faster paced generally cuz there's more growth or there's there's more um, decision points along the way as you're forming things as you go as a, but it's similar in the world of small businesses that are that are uh, longer tenured but still small uh, how do you think about how do you think about time management and also how do you think about Making decisions, especially when you say in, in your world you can't sort of fail fast, fail cheap. Yeah. But you have to move quickly because you know being nimble is your strength. You don't have the size, so how do you marry that all up?
0: Yeah. What, what was the first question again? How do you how
1: do you think about time management? Right? Yeah. So you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions. You have to make a lot of decisions with incomplete information or not maybe not full information. But at the same time, uh, you have this added layer of, you know, a lot. Of, in some cases, you have to be right. You have to be more certain. Um, but there's still that time pressure of, of, uh, of uh, having to make decisions fast that's always on you.
0: Yeah, so on, on the time management front, I always ask myself on Sunday night, if I did one thing this week, you know, what would make the most difference? Mm-hmm. And if I can get that one thing accomplished, the one thing decided on, the one thing done, usually that one thing drives 80% of the the week.
1: Okay. You know, the rest of the stuff. And so what would be an example of that? How how big or how, con- how concrete or amorphous, how big, how small do you make that one thing?
0: Fairly big. You know, fairly big. You know, this week it might have been um, decide on our comparison group for our clinical trial. And- which then would get submitted next week. Um, so that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of uh a lot of money, time and risk goes in into that. Mm-hmm. Um and so that was all right. I need to focus I know I'm gonna have demands for my time across a lot of things from HR to you know, podcast, uh, podcast <laughs> to you know Valentine's days this week because you yeah. have to have a life, yeah. On you know, just yeah, uh, startup, you. and so um, how do I make sure to, that I carve out time for that? Yep. Two on the time management side, I always block at least three or four hours every week to not have meetings and calls and things. To work on whatever those big things are, regardless, and it's kind of sacred in my mind. It's Mm -hmm. I need to do this because I need time to think and to strategize. I can't just always be doing.
1: Is that one big block, three to four hours? Yeah,
0: one big block. Turn the email off. Get rid of everything else. Like shut down. Um, Sometimes it happens on Sunday and not during the week. But you know, whatever. Try to get it done. (laughs) Try to block some time to do that. Sure. And then, how do you think about making high risk decisions with incomplete information? That's a really tough one. I mean, oftentimes, you know, you 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 lean on advisors who've been there, done that. We've we have a whole stable of advisors across clinical, regulatory, you know, engineering, uh, pharma med device that we call on that may be formal advisors, maybe on the board of directors, maybe paid consultants um, to get their expertise. You know, Brian and I spend a lot of time talking about these things and, you know, often ask ourselves, you know, which of them can we lower the risk the most on? And if we can't, which of them have the highest reward uh, for succeeding? And, you know, we're gated by factors like, how long a clinical study would take when we need to submit to the FDA to to hit the milestones we have for the funding timeline that we have um and need to make decisions based on you know some of those gating factors mm-hmm. um the other thing is with incomplete information that doesn't work for the team oftentimes the team needs a, a hill to take and you the as Sometimes making no decision or waffling on the decision um, while you may make a better decision in two weeks sets, you know, four other people back two weeks. And so uh, therefore it's a, what's the risk of two weeks of missed time of the rest of the team versus getting it slightly wrong. And so sometimes it's a, it's a judgment call to say, we're going to take this hill, let's go. And once you get to that hill, it sometimes is easier to say, actually, let's Go over to that hill. Um, you can re. You know, we're almost there.
1: Yeah. Um, no, that's a good. That's a good way to think about it. Um, so, you know, do you think about your time as um, sort of what you are uniquely qualified to do? Um, and, and if so, you know how how have you how have you come to learn about leadership and delegation? what you're a lot of your a lot of you're talking about and talking about taking hills and, and leading the team to make sure that you know that the team has has as little dead time as possible. There's a there's a balance between sort of leadership and delegation to make sure that not just you're being effective, but your whole team behind you is being effective.
0: Yeah. So we've actually had the luxury of starting to think about this. You know, if you rewind on the leadership and delegation side uh eight months ago, it was uh leadership and do because there was less of a team to, um, to move forward with. And so, uh, but we've actually talked about this a lot lately. It's a, um, to me it's more of how to be clear about priorities. And so that is the most important thing when you have the team and to be clear about priorities, in a formal setting. So we do a pretty structured scorecard process for employees. Like this is what's expected of you, big tasks that you're taking on. Like, please involve us. If there's roadblocks, don't get, you know, get two months down the road and say, Oh, you know, I didn't know about this. Um, and kind of formally set that up. There is the daily communications on, um, here's what we think are priorities right now. And here's, here's where we're at in the timeline. And then there's the, You know, I often try to get involved in the setting where it's if there's roadblocks. So if there's a delay or Mm -hmm. if there's a decision to be made or if we need more information about something we've never done before. um, Brian or I are the ones that say, "Okay, great. We can start to like blaze that trail while you continue on the path you're on. And so uh, we're uh, I often look at myself as I can explore and help kind of narrow the options and then team can select best options for scenarios
1: that they have. Sure, I like that. So tell me more about the scorecard process. Yeah. Is that, um, is that something you're setting annually? Is that something you're setting up just at time of hire, saying these are your core functions, make sure that what you're doing is always in line with these? Is that something you're doing way more frequently than that? You know, what does that look like?
0: Yeah, so we're, we've been following a method Roughly, a method that's put out by GH Smart uh, okay. called the Who methodology. Okay, and we actually start scorecard process prior to hire, so we try try to uh, define uh, the key goals for for each role that we're bringing on, and then the competencies for the company. You know, they're similar across the company. You know, integrity. Excellence, move fast, et cetera, sure,
1: um, so more like values, values,
0: more values, yep, mm-hmm. and then, um when they come in, we review that said scorecard and and update it and and say we'll we will twice a year, so every six months mm-hmm. um review, see where you're at, hope you know uh, see what progress you've made to to take that hill um and um and evaluate both of your performance and then to make sure that you have the right priorities there. Um, ideally, they're stretch goals. So if someone hits 100% of their scorecard, we've likely designed the scorecard wrong. Got it. Um, and, and also we try to bake in professional development as well into that. So like in stretch areas for the person, so they're, they're, recover, they're, they're improving themselves every kind of, every cycle.
1: Got it. So, can you give me some examples of what would what kind of things would be on a scorecard?
0: Yeah. So, uh, VP of product development scorecard would be uh, have product ready to launch um, by a certain time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if someone's in um, clinical trials, a, a goal would be uh, begin and trial on X date and finish trial on Y date. Yep. Um, and so these are sort of very specific, measurable, actionable things that are large enough that take probably, you know, 30 different activities to make them happen. Yep. Um, and th- those are, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's done, check. If it's almost done, then great. If, if you haven't made any progress on it, what happened? Did, did, right. did you not work hard? Did you? Did we misdefine it? You know, there's a conversation sure. there.
1: And so, are you taking those those big those big objectives, those big goals, and are you cascading down the 30 subtasks that are going to need to be needed to achieve that, or is that up to the employee to define those him or herself, achieve them, so they can achieve the overall correct
0: objective? Yeah, yeah. No, we we give the big task. We'll give some guidance on some thoughts. Yep. Um, you know, big tasks that they have will feed into company objective, mm-hmm. um, and and then from there it's up to them to have the, you know, take the autonomy to figure out the path yep. to get there, um, to get good at it, and you know, it kind of gives them a purpose themselves to 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 work on it. And they're not in the vacuum either. I mean, a lot of the a lot of a goal on a scorecard would involve. Uh, other people, um, working on it with them, particularly in, in an interdisciplinary setting like we have, like it's, they're not silos.
1: Sure. Well, 10 people, Yeah. you can't, you can't have silos of that at that size. Correct. Correct. Okay. So let, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about so where you are right now yeah. and, and what, what's the focus you guys have sprinted fast sort of with the, with the overall mission, you guys have narrowed it in, gotten the focus. Mm. Um, so where where does Medrhythm stand now? You know what's the focus just right in the next six to twelve months, and then we can talk about you know what's the what's the plan for the next five years.
0: Yeah, so six to twelve months. It's it's pretty. It sounds simple. Lots of parts go into it. it. Uh, is begin and finish cl- clinical trial um, in post stroke population, mm-hmm. um, and have product ready to hit market when it's cleared. So, I mean, those are basic, but those are, those are, there's a lot of pieces that go into that. And those are what we're marching on product ready for post-stroke.
1: Sure. So looking back over the last three years, let's talk a bit about, um, perception versus reality Mm -hmm. expectations versus reality. Any big, big dichotomies, either positive or negative on the expectations versus reality now that you've lived it for three years?
0: Well, it's interesting. I mean, when we, so on the positive side. When we started the company, I mean, as I said, I had an idea that there there was a big impact here, and with a business model change, and as we thought about reaching more people, that it could be a successful business. I actually didn't realize, you know, because the industry we're in is digital therapeutics with the software product, um, and that didn't that industry didn't really exist or it was just starting to exist when we decided to make that shift. Mm-hmm. And around us has popped up this like huge, this industry that a lot of people are paying attention to using software as a therapeutic to improve a disease or condition, much like a pill might do. Um, and so that has raised expect Like it, the climate around us for the industry has raised expectations in my mind that this, Area could be a new frontier where we're using software, in our case, music, to improve a condition, um, have positive clinical outcomes, and almost – and maybe positive side effects. You know, (laughs) drugs have negative side effects. Ours may have positive side effects. And so, um, to me, that has raised the stakes and raised the expectation that, you know, we could be a huge organization that makes an impact, you know, globally in people that have neuroinjury disease before – you know, we thought we could make an impact, but we didn't know that it was a wave that was coming along that you know we got caught up in, which is great.
1: Sure. So you 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 come um, you come out generally p- very positive on that wave. The the obvious potential negative is um, increased competition, mm-hmm. right? And increased competition can bring can bring increased scale. So on the one side, the positive, what you're talking about, certainly the the mission and, the, and serving the mission at a greater scale, awesome. Uh, enhanced awareness and interest in this area yeah. from a capital raising perspective probably makes things a little bit better mm-hmm. a little bit easier also a positive also turns the attention of the big incumbents the big competition that have the big dollars to spend that also have the scale to to get products through fda maybe a little bit faster or can just dump money into it a little bit of a negative so can you sort of talk about that dynamic and um and and any potential negative consequences to that same that same process.
0: So you're right. The increased awareness you know, definitely introduces more competition and competitors in the space which largely is good as you laid out. For us and for me what keeps me up is maybe we're not moving fast enough. You know, it, I always feel like I'm behind no matter what, but Getting, getting through the FDA, getting our, we have a couple of patents pending, getting our patents, you know, fully, you know, approved, uh, building up the infrastructure, being capitalized enough, um, is sort of can't happen fast enough because this wave is coming and that will allow us to compete. Though I will say as we've laid out our strategy and picked the conditions we went after, you know, recruited the advisors that we have, filed the IP, et cetera, we've done it with the mind that someone's going to wake up someday and say this is a really competitive space and something that you know can make a big difference and is a great business to have. So for us, we have tried to build our initial starting point and business model have some sort of moat around it. So someone might say, well, instead of competing with MedRhythms, let's partner with them in this indication or with this population because they're far enough ahead by now that even if they could, you know, even if someone wakes up, they still have 18 months to market with building an FDA or maybe even 24 or 36 FD, med rhythms is already there let's work with them instead sure. so um yeah f- we need to move faster because of the increased awareness but it nets out good and we just need to make sure we're
1: strategic fair enough so this that gets into um sort of concept of i, I won't really call it the end game but um, sort of your your larger scale go to market strategy. And when we talked about this when we first met is that it, there's there's two paths, sort of mutually yeah. exclusive paths. One is yeah. partnering on a product by product basis with one of these larger big pharma um, biotech companies. Um so you can sort of plug into their distribution and sales yeah. network. Yeah. And you are a development, essentially development company that mm-hmm. leverages that gets enters into partnerships or JVs or whatever agree, syndication agreements or something like that um, to plug into much larger networks on the distribution sales side, or you keep it in house and you, you grow big uh, and you, and you go fast, you go real fast. Um, so where do you come out on that?
0: Where we stand as an industry and as a company um, the first option I think is the most uh, likely to be successful, which is uh, build it, prove it, prove some health economics of it, find a partner, and and I say partner loosely because it could take many forms, that could fully scale it for us. So partner could be pharmaceutical company, could be medical device company, could be payer or provider in in an integrated delivery network. Um, So basically someone who has the ability to scale it faster um, likely will not be hiring large national sales force you know, out of the gate, because I mean, that's an expensive endeavor. Um, and, you know, that being said, who knows how environment changes with, you know, some reimbursement with the outcomes that happen. Um, and it's really, a, a economic calculation in terms of what's the investment required to fully scale it yourself versus what do you get out of it?
1: Sure. So is that change piece I want to pick up on, um, you know, I talk about this a lot in the podcast. Is how do you think about growth? How do you manage growth and sort of change management? You, know, you guys, not necessarily growth per se from a revenue growth perspective, because you're still in, in the in the clinical trial timeframe. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're talking about a lot of stuffs moving really, really fast. Right. And so, how do you how do you think about that? How do you manage it uh, in an organization you know, when when stuff is just flying around?
0: Yeah. So, good question. I, I think. This, this, the managing change to me comes back to um, two things: how how you communicate and what you communicate mm-hmm. to, to your team about what you think is important, and um, what priorities you've set to them yep. for them. And so, to me, um, in growing pains, is you know that needs to be intentional now. And Brian and I needed to talk about that at the beginning of the week and say, what is it for this week? Uh, You know, because we work on week cycles a lot of times. Um, And how does that connect to the larger points? When we found we doubled the size of the team, we found that some of that was missing um, because before you could go and like walk and tell everyone. And now that, you know, every one of those conversations has got outside of the bounds of being able to do that. And so it's really. You know, communicating that
1: clearly. Sure. So, what lessons have you learned about communication? Because so it's that's one of those um, easy to say, simple to say, hard harder to do, right? So you can say communication is important, but what does that really mean? how How have you how have you learned to be able to communicate effectively so your employees understand not just the what but the why and maybe the how of of what you're talking about?
0: Good, good question. You know, and so daily we have standups with the team. So everyone reports on like more of the what that they're doing. And in the beginning, I found myself and still do some actually, and I'm working on this reporting, you know, what I am working on. (laughs) Um, but now I've tried to use the opportunity to describe, you know, why I'm working on what I'm working on and how it connects to what everyone else is working on um, in that short snippet of time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's one sort of, that's tactic, tactical. Yep, that's every day. That's every single, we have every single day.
1: How long does that meeting
0: um, take? Seven minutes. Seven minutes? Seven to 10 minutes. uh, Or less. Uh, Wednesdays is less because it's wall sit Wednesday. So everyone has to do a wall sit.
1: While you're meeting?
0: Yeah, and so like- Nice. The meeting is over. That meeting quickly.
1: would be over in like it, 90 seconds. Yeah, exactly. It
0: flies. <laughs> that one flies. That's a really quick one. Um, but the stand-up is meant to just keep, catch people up quickly. Anything Anyone has a question about anything, they have an opportunity to talk about it. So 9.30. And the train leaves the station exactly at 9.30 every single day, no matter if I'm there or Brian's there. like We're all accountable to 9.30. Um, we don't want to waste anyone's time. Yep. So- so that that regular communication helps. Also, for things that are really important, you have to say them many times. Yeah. You know, so it's on the technical side of the thing of, of the company. Um, you know, one of the things that's really important to us is our clinical thinking algorithm, which changes the music based on the sensors. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things we need to build in the software, but that one is sort of our secret sauce. And so Brian and I talk about that. A lot, you know. How are we making that better? What are we working on the clinical thinking algorithm? Because it's discovery. A lot of it, um, some of it we know, but um, and it's easy to work on some of the easier aspects of the system. But that's what really makes us go. And so we consistently, intentionally bring that up because it's really important to us.
1: Yep, makes sense. So, how to the extent you've thought about it, how does that? How does that communication piece, especially that daily high frequency short? communication piece, how does that scale? So when you're 10, okay, you all stand up, you're all in the office, but what happens when you're 20 or 50, maybe you have two locations. How do you think about scaling that kind of communication and awareness?
0: So that splits, right? It splits off. So I would say that the daily stand up would exist across the company, but you, you would be in more siloed groups for that. So, mm-hmm. you know, engineering team should do it. You know, some of the, you know, the regulatory team, whatever, should have the daily stand up or should have someone, you know, it's also accountability to like what you said you're going to do and what you're going to do. So it scales if it splits off. Mm-hmm. And then, likely, and maybe it's not daily, the the team leaders of each team would be responsible of bringing the uh, full company perspective back to back to each individual team. And so um, so the VP of product or VP of engineering uh, maybe would be in the daily standup for the engineering team every single day, um but also be part of a team leaders group weekly or you know, I haven't really fully designed this yet. but could be every day for that one as well. Quick stand up, quick meeting, and then they can intervene on things that are company wide, or they can make sure that they have the information needed there. So, sure. I think it's it's likely some sort of model there because you're right. I mean, if we have a hundred people, you know, that it may go to tw- twenty minutes instead of seven. So long wall sitting. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of wall <laughs> that's sitting. That's yeah, yeah, wall yeah sit. exactly.
1: Well, so that's that's the next thing I want to talk about because the Wall suit Wednesday. Uh, obviously, alliteration aside, it's a, it's a great idea and, and really highlights uh, sort of how you are infusing culture into the company. And it's this, it's this you know, little intangible word that is so important. And you know, in, in my in my normal job, talking about deals, and especially once we acquire a company, um, a lot of times those CEOs of those companies, you know, they might have hated the deal process when we were acquiring the company, um, but man, they love deals after we acquire the company. Yeah. Deals are so sexy, yeah. right? And they all want to do it. And for the ones where we've done some tack on acquisitions, they love it up until closing just again. And they're like, oh man, implementation, that's so difficult. You know, you're bringing two teams together. You're bringing different customer bases together. And even if you're doing the same work, different customer expectations, different right. scope of work, different quality expectations, you know, just the whole thing. And and it really underpins the the value of culture, not just internally, but your relationship with the customer and expectations and roles and responsibilities. So how, have, how do you think about it at MedRhythms? And how have you... How have you focused on building a culture that you've wanted at Medrhythms?
0: So it's interesting that you mentioned the Wall Street Wednesday uh, because while that's important and it definitely, it came from one of the team members. They had an idea. We're like, this is a great idea. We'll run with it. Implemented it. It was great. But before that, when I was talking before, one of the things that we've tried to nail into the culture is no one's more important than anyone else. Okay. And how that was signaled is that the stand up every day starts at nine 30. They don't have to wait for executives to be there. Um, if we're late, we're late, you know, it's, it's our, we're accountable for being late Mm -hmm. and the rest of the team doesn't need to wait for this, you know, you know, someone to bang the gavel and start the meeting. Like it's, it's goes no matter what. And so that's one thing it's, you know, we're all on the same team. And, and so it's, it's, it's not a, you know, we're more important than the rest of the team. Brian and I are also, a, and this is similar to the last point, but a model the way type of uh, leader. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a meeting about a topic and the agenda sent in advance, I come with pre-prepared notes and, you know, and, and, and if there's uh, items that are assigned to me by someone else, like I will stay up all night to make sure they get done because, you know, the worst thing is to waste anyone's time mm-hmm. and not to be excellent at what you do and thoughtful at what you do. And, um, and so that's number two. And number three, it's similar, particularly since even though we have an office here, we're all over the place. You know, I try to and Brian as well, you know, we're timely in responding to things. You know, get back to emails, get back to messages, get back to things fast because, you never want to be the bottleneck, and we don't want bottlenecks. And if there's a bottleneck, let let's triangulate it immediately and remove it. Because um, I don't want anyone to at three o'clock say, "Oh, well, this is in my way. I'm just going to hang around for the next few hours and go home, and I'll deal with it tomorrow." We just wasted a full day uh, of work, and so you know, address these things immediately if they come up, and get them out of the way. And then there should be no excuses about why things get done.
1: Yeah, awesome. So I want to wrap up the interview with a couple of questions I ask everyone. Okay. Um, I, think that, I think that would be pretty interesting, uh, especially given where MedRhythms is today. So the first one is, imagine I gave you four months of time to allocate to MedRhythms, but you had pressed the magic pause button of life where nothing else was going on. How would you allocate that time?
0: All right. So I'm going to caveat and say, like, <laughs> first of all, you, you learn a lot by doing. So, yep. you know, let's assume that I could uh, still test in this period of time.
1: Yeah, fair. It's a fake world, so you can basically do anything yeah, so it.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to design my own world. Great. I would, So, you know, we're hyper-focused. If time wasn't an issue, yeah. we're hyper-focused on building a, a digital therapeutic to help people improve their walking f- following post-stroke. But, you know, there is a whole world out there where we can improve lots of different uh, symptoms about a patient, and I, you know, and I would love to be able to have a whole suite, you know, of products that we could, um, and we want to do this. We want to do this long term. But if I, I could have a whole portfolio to launch to work on language and cognition and and, and depression and and all of these things in addition to improving walking, for stroke, and other conditions. You know, we could have a whole pipeline of things built you know i would need to like recruit a team to come into this fake world with me to work on these things sure but um if we could do that we could we could have you know the next uh you know large biopharma portfolio of things um based all on software to help people improve things
1: sure good answer all right. Next one, uh, similar. This will, be, this will be easier for you, though, because it's more concrete. I'll try not to ruin it. more question. concrete. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming, given the capital intensity up front to, to generate some of this software and then to go through the testing, so I'm going I'm to jack the numbers up. Normally, I say, imagine a million dollars falls in your doorstep. How do you reinvest that? So I'm going to jack that up to $10 million. Yeah, $10 million falls in your doorstep, but it's earmarked, has to get allocated to MedRhythms. How are you reinvesting that capital back into MedRhythms?
0: Well, five million would go into uh, commercial launch of uh, the stroke product and
1: getting in,
0: you know, into certain geographies. To so, what does
1: that mean? Commercial launch? You hiring?
0: So we're hiring. A, so we we will be following a partnership strategy, but in certain geographies, we'll have to model the way. Okay. So we'll put um, five million dollars into a continued commercial launch because we will have done some of that already with the money we have continued commercial launch to show efficacy in the market and get some revenue back. Um, and then five into another indication. So another MSP Parkinson's disease, one of the other products to build out the pipeline. If you were to give me a hundred million dollars, which is, you know, would, Sure. So
1: it, again, fake worlds.
0: So. Yeah, in fake worlds. So yeah. So ten, like 10 million is great. Like it's a lot of money. But if you were to give me a hundred, give me a hundred million dollars, yeah. you know, I would um, build three more digital therapeutics um, for other indications. So stroke, Parkinson's disease, MS, say Alzheimer's, dementia, okay. um, for so- walking. So okay. the four, four.
1: So all, all focused on walking, so, but four different, what you're calling, indications.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're, we're going to spend $40 million on that. Uh, we're going to spend uh, probably another uh, $20 million um, on maybe new, um, within the same diseases, but new interventions um, in addition to walking. Okay. Um, so I've spent $60. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to spend $20 million on validating the data to be able to make— uh, claims about the product from the data coming off of the digital therapeutic, um, and then 20 million on uh, signing up partnerships on on all of this platform.
1: All right, and so all it takes is a cool hundred mil.
0: All it takes is a hundred mil, yeah. Um, which is great because you know, as as we start building our next fundraising plan, yeah, know, I've, I've just laid it out. Yeah, you know, exactly. I can just send it to the investors and say, send us hundred million. Here's the here's the plan. I already have for it it. It's already budgeted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's already budgeted. Exactly.
1: Awesome. All right. Well, Owen McCarthy, thanks a lot for being on the show. Great. Thanks, Palmer. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Big Time Small Business Podcast. If you liked what you heard please leave us a review and share the show with a friend to access show notes and subscribe to our distribution list. Be sure to visit us at chenmarkcapital.com slash podcast. That's chenmark C-H-E-N-M-A-R-K capital.com slash podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at chenholdco, C-H-E-N holdco. Last but not least, We'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at podcast at com. Thanks a lot.